Welcome back, besties, to another episode of the Spooky Ripchin Mom. My name is Peyton, and I'm so glad you're joining me today. This week has been kind of crazy. Um, I'm back to our normal hours at work, which has been great. But um, on top of work, I had Paisley's doctor's appointment and t- on Monday, and then today she needed to get a couple shots just for her six-month immunizations. And she handled it pretty well. Honestly, she just has slept a little bit longer than normal. Um, if you hear any jingling, it's my dog, Ebby. She's laying up here with me. Also, if you hear like jet noises, I live on a Navy base or next to a Navy base. So that they, they're flying tonight. They're doing night flights. But Bailey also just got moved tonight. So if you also hear Paisley kind of whimpering in the back, it's because her monitor is up here with me so I can make sure she's doing okay um but like I said yeah she had her immunization she was just a little bit more tired than normal but that's given she didn't really seem to bother her besides when they first gave her the shots so you know she's in bed like normal but other than that it hasn't been too bad work's just been crazy now that we're back to normal hours it's been like heavy freight and busy people um And then, yeah, I asked Bailey if he'd clean off my desk. Oh, Bailey and I celebrated our four-year wedding anniversary on Monday the 16th. Um, And so, we didn't do anything. We had no plans. We had zero plans. I worked Sunday. He had Sunday off. He was originally supposed to work Sunday, and then we were both having Monday off. So, we were going to do something, like, in the morning um, before Paisley's doctor's appointment. But... The flight that was supposed to happen on Sunday got pushed to Monday. So, and we didn't do anything. We might do something this weekend, maybe. I don't know. Like, it's only four Like, it's four years. It's not, like, a big mark. But it was pretty cool. For our anniversary, he got me the Hunt a Killer game where you... It's, like, a six-month subscription. You get different, um, like, evidence and letters and case stuff. Um, but it's all for one huge case and you kind of have to solve it, but they give you a little bit as you go so you don't just sit down and solve it all at one time. So I'm very excited about that. Um, but I asked him to clean off my desk that's up here. It's, we got it for free. It's white with orange drawers and like an orange cabinet. And it's not like a light orange or like a salmon-y orange. It's like a bright 80s orange and it clashes with everything I own. Our house, like downstairs is gray with a light blue and then upstairs it's that same theme but has some pink in it and so it just it does not go with our room at all. It also does not go with my aesthetic or my vibes and I it's not like a huge clean off. He had a whole week where he worked and I or I worked and he didn't and so it just needed like stuff to be put away and so I could sit there and research and all that fun stuff but he didn't do that so I guess I'm going to tackle that on one of the days where the next couple days I only work nine to five or ten to three so I I'll do it then but I also just want to sit down and research the next one so I can get more podcasts out but it's fine we're going to jump into Arkansas all of my friends that I work with and that I see or talk to on a regular basis asked me what it was and I was like oh it's California not that I forgot Arkansas but I thought I had already recorded this episode and I had it so California is the next one 
but Arkansas, we're talking about Ronald Gene Simmons. Let me tell you, every single Ronald I know, toxic, and I am adding my biological dad, but that's besides the point. Um, he was born July 15th, 1940 in Chicago, Illinois. His parents are William and Loretta Simmons. William did die about three years after uh, Ron- Ronald was born. But his mom, Loretta, remarried another William. Um, and so we're just going to call him Griffin. That's his last name, just to make things easier. But she married Griffin not even a year later after his dad had passed away. And Griffin was in the U.S. Army as an engineer. So they were always moving and that caused Ronald to struggle with change. And it also caused him to be a loner and a bully. It's just because he lacked control, which... I feel like is normal with kids who are in the military. They either grow up and they're like really, really good or they lack control and structure because there's nothing that they control in their lives. They move every two or three years and things like that. So then they act out. On September 15th, 1957, Ronald dropped out of school and went to military school. In the documentary I watched, it said he went to the Naval Academy and then when he graduated from there, he went into the Air Force, but other articles I read said that he actually just joined the Navy and then a couple years later transferred to the U.S. Air Force. But either way, he was in both. Um, Ronald really liked the military school because unlike other schools, it had structure. It gave him control. He woke up and it was kind of the same thing every day, which is what he needed in his life. Um, And then when he graduated, he joined the U.S. Air Force. On July 9th, 1960, at the age of 20, Ronald married Becky Ulmbari in New Mexico. He felt that his home life also needed to have that same control and structure that work had. So he forced Becky to only wear button-up shirts. She had to wear her hair pulled back in a ponytail. And then she also could not wear any makeup and Ronald just didn't want to lose her to another man, which honestly that would make me leave someone if you forced me to dress and act a certain way. But he did it because that's how the women in the military at the time were supposed to look. They always, like even now they have to wear their hair up unless their hair is a certain length, then they can wear it down. But their uniforms are button ups and they, um, you have to wear very natural light to no makeup um and then he had brainwashed her so badly that any sort of abuse he did towards Becky she just kind of took because she had been I want to say under his like spell she just from the pictures I saw he was very handsome when he was younger so she just wanted he basically brainwashed her and she went with it Um, they ended up having seven kids, but Ronald had eight. I did not know how I wanted to say that. That was a really long pause. Um, Ronald ended up having eight kids. Becky only had seven. So that is a foreshadow to plot twist. Um, his kids' names were Sylvia, Sheila, Eddie, Marianne, Ronald Jr., William II., Rebecca and Loretta. During his 20-year military career, Ronald was awarded a Bronze Star Medal, the Republic of Vietnam 
Gallantry Cross for his service as an airman and the Air Force Ribbon for excellent marksmanship. If you don't know really anything about military, an airman is someone who has no rank. Like, he's not a petty officer. He's not, like, a chief, anything like that. He's just some Joe Schmo that came out of boot camp kind of deal. Um, he retired from the military on November 30th, 1979 with the rank of Master Sergeant. Sorry, I had to pause that for a moment because the jet was way lower than expected. So then in 1979, Ronald and Becky moved their family to New Mexico. Now that he's retired, he doesn't have that same control that work had once given him. So he starts controlling Becky and the kids more. And he even started isolating the kids. Sheila um, might have received the worst of Ronald's control. She is the first born um but ronald was very very controlling of her he was always favoring her though over her other siblings and at the age of 14 ronald forced sheila into a sexual relationship i say forced because it was but at the time she was so infatuated with her dad and he controlled her so much that she didn't have a problem with it like, she didn't realize that this was bad. Um, and so, Ronald also never tried to hide it. Becky's sister, in the documentary I watched, said that family started to notice because at events, Sheila would either sit on his lap or in between his legs and, like, put her head in his lap. Um, and at the age of 14 and 15, they found it weird. Um, and then... She had also mentioned that there was a time that Sheila and Ronald and Becky were going to the grocery store and Becky sat in the back seat while Sheila sat in the front and Ronald and Sheila were pretty much just all over each other and Becky watched the whole thing. Um, at the age of 16, Sheila found out she was pregnant with Ronald's baby Ronald and Becky's oldest son, Eddie, went to the police and told them about how Sheila was pregnant with their dad's baby. And August of 1981, police started investigating, but Sheila actually refused to testify, which shows just how much control her dad had over her um, because they, they wanted to arrest him for incest and she just, she wouldn't say anything bad against him. Um, but in November of 1981, Ronald forced his family to move to Arkansas because police were coming to put him in custody and arrest him, and he was afraid to go to jail. Um, so they moved, and they moved to Ward, Arkansas, um, and then they moved again to Dover, Arkansas. And once they moved to Dover, Arkansas, New Mexico police actually lost their trail like lost where he was going couldn't find him so at this point ronald is in the clear for the incest charges so ronald and his family i feel like when i do these podcasts you guys could probably do a drinking game of how many times i say so and how many times i say um also how many times i get off topic like this one so if you guys do play a drinking game please let me know how many shots you take But, like I was saying, Ronald moved his family to a house on 13 acres of land that would later be called Mockingbird Hill. The house was 
two mobile homes put together so I made one larger house but neither side had a telephone nor had plumbing so to keep the kids in more control because when he moved he felt like things were out of control he had the kids use shovels rakes and picks to build an outhouse and then he also forced them to build a 10 foot cylinder block fence with a barbed wire top in the back to keep kids from playing with the neighbors then the kids had to come home straight from school they could not go to a friend's house and they were not allowed to do after school activities like football chess club whatever they wanted and then at night when the sun went down windows had to be closed and shades had to be drawn which obviously means he didn't want anybody from outside being able to see what was going on inside but then after 20 years the family finally had enough the older kids started to spend more time out of the compound um, so they started to like hang out with friends more. Sheila even got a boyfriend. And at that point, Ronald spiraled. It was crazy. He was so upset that she started dating someone else, someone her age, someone who was not her dad. Um, he just, he went crazy. He hated it. He felt like she was cheating on him. And that's when things kind of took a turn for the worst. He um, ended up quitting his job and then he moved just into his room and started to isolate himself from the family which which for someone who has to have control over his whole family this was already a really bad sign he would only leave his bedroom to go to the bathroom get some food but he would just go back to his room and then December of 1987 rolls around Becky acts like everything is fine to keep Ronald happy the holidays are coming up she just doesn't want any arguments or anything like that um and Ronald even let Becky go and buy a Christmas tree and get Christmas decorations he even went out and bought the kids presents and a gift for everyone but then December 22nd of 1987 happens. Um, the kids that were school age were sent off to school for the day. The only ones in the house were Becky, his three-year-old granddaughter, Barbara, and then one of his sons who was 26 at the time. And then, of course, Ronald. They were the only ones in the house. And this is where the bad happens. So, just a trigger warning, if you don't do well with kids dying or mass murders, this is your stopping point. Becky and her granddaughter were in the living room and Becky was on the couch while Barbara was on the floor. Ronald walked in and he hit Becky over the head. She fell into the couch. She was knocked out. And then Ronald strangled Barbara, his three-year-old granddaughter, until she died. His son came in and then Ronald shot him four times in the face and then walked over and shot Becky twice. When the kids came home from school, Ronald was sitting in an empty room and he called them in one by one. He told each kid that came in that he had a present for them. And then with each kid, he proceeded to strangle them until they also died. Um, but then he also held their face underwater. 
Once he killed them, he calmly took each body from the house and he put them in a hole that he actually had the kids dig a few weeks earlier. That day, he ended up killing seven members of his family. Then on December 26, 1987, the adult kids were coming over with their kids for a late Christmas dinner. And then once they got there, Ronald shot all of the adults and then drowned all of the kids, just like he did four days before with his wife, son, and granddaughter. Um, He put their bodies in, he covered them up with coats, except for Sheila. With Sheila, he actually wrapped her in her mother's tablecloth. I think he showed her a little bit more love because he was trying to show he wasn't he loved her but not as a dad he was still in love with her like as she was his girlfriend um so right now in total he has killed 14 members of his family and 14 people altogether so now we're moving on to after his killings he went to a local bar and he drank came home and he spent that night and all of the 27th drinking beer and just watching tv then on december 28th ronald drove to Rooseville and killed kathleen kendrick she was a receptionist at a law firm and she was shot because Ronald felt like she had wronged him. He had been really infatuated with her, really, really liked her, but she told him no. I mean, the poor girl was only like 24, and Ronald's probably in his 50s or 60s at this point, so it's gross. Like, no thank you. Um, After he shot Kathy, he then went to an oil company and shot J.D. Chaffin, He was, and then he also wounded the owner, Rusty Taylor. Next, he went to his old job and then can, at a convenience store, sorry, um, where he shot and wounded two more people. Ronald's last hit was the office of Woodland Murder Freight and Company, and he shot and wounded a woman. And then after he did that, he really did something strange in my opinion he sat down with the receptionist secretary at the front and he sat with her and just had normal conversations with her until the police showed up but then once the police showed up he decided that he wanted to surrender because he was afraid he would be shot by them and left in a vegetable state so Before we go into the conviction, I do want to just list all of the victims um, in order by date, just so it's a little bit more easier to follow. So, December 22nd, 1987, he shot his son, Ronald Gene Simmons, who is 26. He shot his wife, Becky Simmons, who is 46. He shot Barbara, or he strangled Barbara Simmons who was his granddaughter. 
He strangled Loretta Simmons, which was his daughter. She was 17. Strangled Eddie Simmons, his son, who was 14. He strangled Marianne, 11, who was his daughter. He strangled his 8-year-old daughter, Rebecca, who also went by Becky, um, and strangled her too. Then December 26th of 1987, he shot his 22-year-old son, William II, and then he also shot William's wife, Renata Simmons, who was only 21. Then he strangled and drowned his one-and-a-half-year-old grandson, Trey. Then he went on to kill Sheila, his daughter. Then he killed Dennis, his son-in-law, Sheila's husband. He then strangled Sylvia, who was six. Now, Sylvia is his daughter and his granddaughter because that is the baby that uh, Sheila had. Um, the baby that is also her dad's. So, that is Sylvia. So, he strangled and drowned his daughter, Sylvia, who was six. And then he drowned and strangled Michael, who was one and a half, and that was his grandson. Told you there'd be a pivot point. And then December 28th, 1987, Kathy Kendrick, 24, was killed by him. That was the gunshot. And then J.D. Chafin was a complete stranger. He didn't know him. And he was killed. Ronald was charged with 16 counts of murder. He was found guilty and sentenced to death. He refused to appeal the death penalty, stating, To those opposed the death penalty, in my particular case, anything short of death would be cruel and unusual punishment. End quote. Ronald was first tried for the murders on the 28th, which was Kathy and JD. The jury convicted him on capital murder and sentenced him to death. Now, because he appealed all of his hearings, because he believed he deserved the death penalty, which if you're for capital murder or you're not, I think he deserved the death penalty for sure. Um, I also feel like he did not appeal the hearing or the appeal. I feel like he did not want to be able to appeal the thing, his sentencing. I'm sorry, it is 9.30 at night. I don't know why I'm doing this right now. Um, I really want to get it out for tomorrow. Um, but anyway, squirrel moment, ADHD. Um, he wanted control. I think if he had been able to appeal and he tried to appeal and they said no, that's not in his control. But him saying he doesn't want the appeal, denying it, just not for it, believing he deserves the death penalty, that's something he can control because they get to pick how they want to die. I that is just my belief and my opinion. Um but the trial court had to have a hearing to make sure that Ronald was competent, that he understood that he was waiving his um, further proceedings and things like that. They did rule that Ronald was fully aware and intelligent and that he was waiving appeals and any other proceedings. Ronald then became the subject of a U.S. Supreme Court case, Whitmore versus Arkansas, when another death row inmate, Jonas Whitmore, attempted to attempted but then unsuccessfully forced an appeal in Ronald's case it basically was just meaning that you can't use your 8th and 14th amendment right 
to appeal someone that you only met in jail. Like, you have to have known them before the trial. Um, and so, it went more contrived, but it did not While Ronald was on death row, he was being threatened by the other inmates because they believed with him waiving his rights to an appeal for death row, he was ruining their chances to win their own appeals. So guards had to keep Ronald separated from anyone else. And, um, in May of 1990, Arkansas's governor and now later um, former U.S. President Bill Clinton, he signed Ronald's execution warrant. On June 25th, 1990, he died by lethal injection, um, and he was able to choose how he wanted to die, um, and so he chose lethal injection. None of his surviving family claimed his body so he was buried in a potter's field i didn't know what potter's field meant so i had to look it up so for anyone who doesn't know a potter's field is just a place of burial of unknown unclaimed and people who maybe can't afford a plot um it's just kind of where they're buried especially if no one claims them it's an old biblical term i had never heard it before i'm not gonna lie to you I am going to look up, because I forgot to, and see what his last meal was, if he had one, so I'll be right back. Okay, so I found it. His last meal, um, he requested a filet mignon, two raw onions, tomato slices, a banana, six rolls, and a 7-Up. And then I also found his last words, and they were... Um, justice delayed, finally be done, is justifiable homicide. So, let that linger. I did find another article where, um, as I was looking for his last words and meals, that it also said he used to control his family's, like, eating times. So, just crazy to see how much control this man had. And then when he was losing it because they were done with him, they, he lost it. And sadly, his whole family died. I also, though, think it's really funny that any survivable family he had did not claim his body. Like, as you should. You, if someone was like, hey, your cousin killed 14 of his family members, I would not claim his body. I would no longer know him. Like, how disgusting. So, ugh, traumatizing. I feel so bad for the families and like Becky's sister on the documentary was absolutely traumatized by it and so sad recounting it and I can't imagine it was absolutely terrible absolutely terrible well that is the end of this episode I'm so sorry it's a longer one I talked a little bit more about myself and the things I had going on in the beginning than I normally do but I feel like since I'm not doing a podcast or it's just about my life and a lot of the people listening are people that I haven't seen in a while um I feel like it's a great way for me to tell them about what is going on in my life so they never worry like I have a couple uncles who listen a couple aunts 
friends from back home. And so I feel like it's a way that you guys know what I'm doing and what's going on without having to constantly like reach out or me having to reach out to you. It's like I'm in the car with you and we're just talking about what's going on. But that's it. I am going to start research on the next podcast and go to bed because I work early tomorrow morning. But I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your week. If we don't get to talk before then, I love you all. Bye. Also, P.S. If I said Roland in any of this, I meant Ronald. I kept writing Roland and saying Roland in my head, even though it's Ronald. So that's my bad. And then our our resources for today's podcast are Murderpedia, Wikipedia, a few other articles that I did not write down, as well as the biggest one in um, Investigation Discoveries episode or show Most Evil, season three, episode two, Control Killers, the first 15 minutes is just about his life. Um, and then more in detail about uh, Ronald's killings.